baseball, bro. So once I had this in post-production, I realized there were some feedback issues. So uh, it's only in a couple parts, but stick this podcast out. It's pretty good. Uh, and enjoy. We're going to have another heart attack there. <laughs> That's just another heart attack, Bob. Hey, how many is that for you? That makes a baker's dozen, Bob. <laughs> um, you recording? Yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. All right, let's act normal. Yo, welcome back to another episode of Baseball Bros Podcast, where we eat, sleep, drink, and think baseball. Joining me, as always, the co-hosts of Baseball Bros Podcast, Matt Kuna. How's it going? It's going well, mate. It's going well. 75 and sunny. Nothing to be mad about. A little morning golf, I hear. A little morning golf. Hacking it up. Enjoying uh, enjoying the nice weather, finally. Hell yeah. Um, So today, we had a little uh, late start on my part, so... uh, this thing's, um, you know, we'll see how long this uh, derails. So, I got some water right here. What are you drinking? Oh, you're just drinking water? Just water, just that H2O. A little uh, Tito's and bubbly. I was going to say, is that is that vodka on the rocks? Oh, yeah. No, no, a little, uh, wa- little watermelon bubbly. Did you drink a little bit on the course? No, actually, one of the first times where I was stone cold sober on a golf course, it was uh, interesting. It's a weird feeling. It's very weird. Uh, I don't like it. No. Yeah. I need, I need a little buzz. The fifth hole is when I start kind of guzzling it down, you know? Yeah, because the first two, uh, you know, you're usually like, oh, man, I'm going to have a good day. And then by like the third and fourth hole, you're like, fuck this. I'm That's awful at this game. I just want to <laughs> get fucked up. Uh, so yeah, it was weird today where I didn't have that, uh, no, no cart girls, no clubhouse, nothing was open. You gotta walk, huh? Had to walk. Oh, the worst. Tea times 15 minutes apart. It was, it was beautiful though. No one was like rushing up on you. You had all the time in the world. It was, uh, it was nice. Just go out for a a leisurely stroll. Yeah, that's pretty good. Carrying the, carrying the clubs kind of, it seems a little bit much, but you got to work out in yeah you got to work out yeah. in so that's good um yeah first first workout of quarantine yeah really <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've done like 20 push-ups so <laughs> just when the push-up challenges were super popular <laughs> all natural all natural <laughs> let me just let me just take a gander at this real quick <laughs> i just had to make sure i could like it was <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah. was I was a little uncertain if I could actually do twenty push-ups in a row. <laughs> the apocalypse, dude. It has it has you testing your uh, your own strength. You know what I'm saying, mentally and physically. Yeah, no, I I'm not gonna beat anyone in a, a hand-to-hand combat. I'm gonna need a gun. Yeah, you're. I think your best bet is just to just outrun somebody and just hope they just gas out before you. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, guys, so today's guest, we have uh, my old roommate in the uh, junior college days uh, and both of our former teammates of the Hammond Chiefs. Uh, he is the head coach of the Missouri Valley baseball team. Um, he has a lot of coaching credentials, and we'll hit those points all in this video. Um, welcome, Adam Enright. Hey. 
we have our sunglasses on because your future is too bright, dog. Wow. Well, that's it's hard to see, dude. <laughs> I was I was gonna I was gonna say because the sunlight reflecting off his head. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you get older, you lose some hair, you find some LBs, and that's the way it goes. Dude, oh, honestly, I found them. I found the LBs. <laughs> At least you weren't like just holding on to that last strand of hair. Like you look fine. Yeah, you know? like having the having just the daubs, like <laughs> like four strands, just kind of. It's just like this. Through. You're like, all right, let me just try to get this stuff looking good. Yeah. I held on to it for a while, and then, you know, it was just, it was just getting sad, so just oh, yeah. let it go. But now, like, I was outside, uh, you know, early April. It's like it's like 52 degrees and sunny, and I'm working on the field for, like, two hours, and my head just gets just fried. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not, I'm, wearing, I'm wearing, like, a sweatshirt, but my head's getting just destroyed. because just, Yeah. Does it peel? Bad or what? Oh, well, early in the summer, it will, like. It'll it'll uh, it'll catch like two or three like gnarly burns and then uh, <laughs> just and then, and then it'll then it'll tan up pretty good. So <laughs> I'm still like two or three burns away from it. It. Uh, it you just re- do you refuse to wear a hat? I'm, I don't. I just don't like wearing hats. Like it's just uncomfortable for me. So I just I'd rather you know have no hat on. I feel like at this point it's a just a protection issue. It is. It's not, it's not so even for I style. Do, <laughs> honestly, dude. Honestly, I say just go do rag. Just do rag it up. <laughs> just, just tie that bitch to the back. <laughs> Could you imagine a do rag yeah. with a hat on? Just like, oh man, straight ham until he dies, dude. <laughs> HMD. HMD. Speaking of speaking of Dobbs and Hammond, I don't know why I was not informed that Gavin High School was honoring Dobbs as like a super. With a they banner about that, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So I saw it on Facebook. Hold on, my, my dog's having a tough time right now. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I saw it on Facebook. And I saw the, the banner, and I'm like, "There's no way this is real." And then I saw like Region Sports live, like just their live uh, stream of him getting honored, and then like interviewing him, which he, he said like one word at a time. Uh huh. Um, and I, I just couldn't believe that this was like real life. Like it was just really happening. That people were there to like. Yeah. Dude, well, dogs. That, the Chiefs were like, it's such a cool community, you know? Yeah. And, uh, there's so many players that go through that place where you don't know who's watching you or like who came out of that program that's like successful. Like we were, we were looking up certain people. We're like, geez, like all these, like, I don't know, man. It's crazy. And then we, we saw that the other day. Matt actually brought it up. And uh, I, I, I think Bridges texted me like the link. He's like, you have to check this out. He's like, Dobbs yeah. is getting a banner at Gavin <laughs> high school. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh man. It's crazy. What's he up to? I mean, I know he's coaching it. Uh, yeah. He's uh, yeah. So he lives out there now. Oh, he lives uh, out there. Lives in Cedar Tucky. He's got three kids. Um, yeah. It's crazy. Everybody like they're all, out. all of, yeah, his, I mean, his whole family, all of his sisters have kids now. They have so many little kids running yeah. around that family. So yeah. it'll, it'll be, it'll be a fun time for all those cousins. Yeah. Yeah. I, I helped him out. What? Um, in 2018. Yeah. 2018. I helped him at uh, Hanover central. So I was like assistant coach. Um, yeah. It was pretty cool. Yeah. He has that. Uh, he was. Yeah. 
<laughs> Don't want to say anything weird. What were you gonna say? What were you gonna say well, I was just saying because, like, you know how, like, once you turn over the reins to another coach, like those players that had the other coach, it's hard to like get them on board with like your process and your, you know, your yeah. your um, I guess your program. So it was hard for him to get the seniors involved in like what he was doing. So he was kind of like not happy, but he was getting more comfortable with the younger class, and then yeah. they were starting to pick it up. So, uh, so oh. I think in a couple of years he's gonna really have that team in a like a really good tight program well i know just the the younger guys are probably really bought into like who he is and like his track record and Mm -hmm. and kind of where he's been and i think you know for him there it's it's probably easy to get those kids coming up to um you know get bought in and and trust what he's what he's trying to sell to them so yeah seems like seems like things are good i know they beat jennings uh his i think it was his first year there yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Jennings told me all about it in the summertime. And, uh, seems like, like it, I said, Jennings <laughs> told me all about it that summer when I was uh, still coaching the oil men. So, yeah, I said to look on Facebook. I think Bridges only has two kids, but it was like all of it was like his wife and both of his sisters were all pregnant at the yeah. same time. Yep, yep, yep. So maybe that's maybe that's why I was thinking three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And speaking of like first year coaches, how was it? How was it coaching? Um, like for your first like head coach at a at a program that, you know, has like seniors and you're the new coach. How was it uh, like corralling the guys? Well, I think the, the biggest thing for us that was positive and helped change the culture was the older guys who had been around for a while were just so ready for change. And they were just so uh, like, they would have bought anything that I, I tried to throw at them just because they were so kind of over what, uh, they had, they had experienced before, um, whatever, you know, I don't, I don't really know what it was, but they were just ready for some sort of change just because they weren't, you know, terribly successful. So the, the biggest thing was our seniors were the leaders in like, Hey, let's do this because we need to, like, we need to trust it. We need to believe in it. So, you know, once I got those, those four year seniors or those guys who'd been there for a while, on board right away it, it was really easy because everyone pretty much followed them uh, if they would have kind of rebelled or pushed back or uh, kind of continued to do their own thing or, there's no way I would have gotten everybody on board but um, you know it, it started with them um, but luckily I came into a situation that was kind of uh, easy to, to form however I wanted to because there, there was nothing in place that you know, they were, oh, that they really wanted to keep or they really wanted to, uh, they were going to fight changing. So they were, they were all about it. And it was, uh, it was really good. You know, we made the postseason for the first time in, in three years. Um, and, you know, record wise, we weren't, we weren't outstanding, but, you know, culture wise and guys getting along and guys kind of pulling on the same side of the rope was was the big takeaway from year one and it it helped to build into year two which was this year but uh obviously we didn't play much of that that year uh, and and it, it really set the groundwork for, for what we're trying to do here and i think that uh you know that again that that first group of seniors was was a, a catalyst in us changing everything rather quickly yeah yeah Matt, 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 
Uh, no, I was just going to say that kind of leads us into, you know, the current state of affairs and college baseball. Obviously, that's your job as a head coach is to know. So what what's going on with scholarships, eligibility? How, how are you, you guys working through it? Well, um, usually what the NAI does, because we're an NAI institution, uh, we, we try to mirror whatever the NCAA does. So we, we kind of wait to see what they do with legislation and, you know, moving forward, how they're going to change things to accommodate this unprecedented time. Um, and, and we try to kind of follow suit. But at this point, you know, we're doing the same thing as far as nobody lost eligibility okay. and everybody who uh, – you know, went to school this year, was playing a sport this year, not only maintains that year of eligibility, but they're getting two extra semesters to finish their eligibility. So in, in our case, you know, you get 10 semesters to play four years. And now everybody who's been a part of this coronavirus thing uh, is getting 12 total semesters and that, you know, 2020 spring season back. So, uh, for a lot of schools, it means that some seniors are, are going to stick around. Um, just in our our scenario, you know, we have a few that we have most of them that aren't. You know, we had a, a senior who would have came back and, and been our best player again, who, who got a really good marketing job and graduated, so he's going to go take it. Uh, we've got one senior who is taking his air traffic control uh, test to get into that program. Um, you know, if he passes that, he's going to be an air traffic controller and obviously not come back to play baseball. So for small schools like us, um, you know, your, your division two, II, division three, NAI schools that kids are typically paying a pretty decent amount of money to, to go to school there. Uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense for a lot of them to come back for a, a second senior year. Uh, so a lot of them just end up graduating and going to do their own thing starting their lives, which makes sense for them and makes sense for us. So it doesn't affect us all that much as far as the log jam of seniors staying, freshman classes coming in, you know, like what, what division one is, is uh, experiencing right now with roster size issues and scholarship limits. Um, you know, it's, it's still pretty seamless as far as most of the guys are leaving. I think we'll, we'll have two seniors who are going to stick around. Uh, both of them just haven't graduated yet. So instead of, Going back to school and not playing baseball. Uh, That's good. But, but what it, who it really affects for us are those, you know, guys who are freshmen this year, guys who are sophomores who, you know, now they're going to get that year back. So how do they navigate their academic, you know, uh, progress? Do they stay here for five years and, and spread it out so they can play all four years of baseball? Or do they still graduate on time and just not play all four years of baseball? And I think more leaning towards spreading it out to where, you know, instead of crushing some falls with 16 to 18 credit hours so they can graduate on time, now they just take 12 and they can kind of space things out to, to play all four years of baseball, mm -hmm. which is going to affect the recruiting classes of the next two or three years. Um, yeah. So, yeah. How, does it, how does the recruiting for high schoolers go? So, like, let's say those high schoolers, those seniors, missed out on their senior year. How is, it, how is the process for you? through like the recruiting process for it's, players? It's primarily on how well 
those seniors who didn't get a senior year to play and kind of showcase themselves through their high school season um, to promote themselves with, you know, either using some sort of recruiting service to get their, their name out there and, and put some sort of video together so that people can see their tools. Um, those, those seniors who don't do that are just not going to get any opportunities. And that's really sad, but unfortunately there's nothing we can do about it. You know, there's not even <laughs> showcases that are going to happen or any, any way for us to see them or, or get to know who they are. Um, other than, you know, them reaching out or, or them using some third party service to reach out to us and say, Hey, here's this student. He's a so-and-so, uh, you know, athlete. He's a three point, whatever GPA. And here's his, here's his academic side. And here are the things that he's involved with, you know, extracurricular outside of athletics. Um, and that's right now, that's really the only reason, the only way that we can get to know these guys. Now, for us, luckily, we've targeted most of our kids throughout the fall. We try to get all of our high school kids that uh, we're really looking at uh, bringing in throughout the fall. Not to say that we don't bring some in in the summer. Or there are some late ones that kind of end up on our doorstep, but uh, we've already pretty much gotten a, a good – hold a good majority of our high school recruiting done because the junior college guys are the ones you have to work on yeah. towards the end of the spring because they're the ones that they're not going to make a decision till May, June. You really have to spend your time <clears throat> staying in communication with those guys and kind of seeing where their process is going, see who else gets involved in the mix, see how the, the scholarships that they're getting or the offers that, that are rolling in for them kind of, uh, compare apples to apples with what you're giving them. So, you know, we, we try to a lot most of our time in the fall for high school kids and, and spring for junior college kids. Which okay. The situation we're in is, is kind of worked out for us. Yeah, and Matt, right. that's the point about um, uh, like we were looking at your roster. We saw like you had a kid from – You got international players yeah. left and right. Where where are you finding the, those guys from? Japan, Puerto Rico, Australia, Canada. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, one thing that was in place before I got here that has been really helpful is um, there are some agencies for international recruits that uh, have been really helpful and really reliable as far as their evaluation of these kids as far as uh, their athletic ability. So – for instance, we, we have an agency that works with a bunch of international kids that we got our starting second baseman from, uh, from Tokyo, Japan. And he's been to three places in his life. He's been to Tokyo, Japan, where he lives. He's been to the Kansas City Airport. He's been to Marshall, Missouri. That's it. Um, he got here and didn't speak really any English. Um, he would, his roommate said that he would just read his English to uh, Japanese to English dictionary all night. Uh, he ended up playing every day for us as a freshman until he got hurt late in the year. And he ended up getting straight A's last year, which. Wow. The guy, the guy got straight A's. The guy never missed a, a sign, never missed a, you know, a defensive assignment as far as bunt B or first and thirds or anything. And I look at my English speaking guys. I'm like, 
what's your excuse? Because <laughs> you guys are missing stuff left and right, and this guy doesn't really speak any English. So, um, but, but you know, back to the, the the system that was in place, um, we as a university or as an institution, um, we've got a really really big international uh, population. We have fifteen hundred students roughly on campus, and there are fifty five countries represented. Um, so, you know, it's not just a 200 mile radius around, you know, central Missouri where we get kids. So we have kids from all over the country and students from all over the world that come here, which is, it's really neat because you would think, you know, North central rural Missouri, who's going to be there? Well, everybody, you know, you, we have kids, from, like you said, Canada, Puerto Rico, um, we have a couple kids from Australia. We've got a kid from Japan. Um, it's it's really neat. So that's nice. uh, you know that that's something that was eye opening for me because the last place that I was at, it was literally Chicagoland area kids, and that's it. Uh, and that was yeah. Trinity. Was that Trinity Christian? Was the yeah. last place? Yeah. So Trinity Christian, you know, was a you know small Christian institution where you know you, you had a very small niche of people who not only would be interested in coming but would probably be accepted. Uh, into into the school. So here, um, you know, it, we hang our hat on our diversity and, and how we not only allow people from all over the world to to go to school here, but we we seek them out. You know, our admission staff they took a a trip out to America Samoa this year just to to try to broaden kind of where we where we pull students from. So. Uh, Nice, but that was really for me. It was really, uh, really neat that I came in and, and and some people said, "Hey, these are the agencies that we use, and these are the, the the contacts that we have for these international students, and use them because they're very reliable and they have been." Nate, feedback every time I talk, because I can hear myself in someone's. I think that's me. <laughs> Am I hearing it through you? Yeah. See, now I can't hear myself. What do you change? Yeah, what you do? Me, I didn't do anything. I can, I can hear the same thing. I was like, wait, is that my end? Or is it, I want to cut him off. It was like, what is this? <laughs> That's all I could hear. I'm like, wait, I, I kept fiddling with it. I'm like, all right, well, I'm guessing that's on the host. Yeah. It's not me. I have not done anything. Um, <laughs> I haven't touched anything, dude. So I was going to say, so NAIA, you guys are allowed to offer scholarships, correct? Do you guys offer scholarships at Missouri Valley? At the NAIA level, uh, we're actually allowed to give the most scholarship money of any four-year. Uh, more than 11.7 or 11.8? So we get 12. NAIA is allowed 12 scholarships. Um, so that's that's something that I always start with when, when people start to ask because you know, a lot of people, they just – don't know a whole lot about NAI baseball. And the first thing I say is, well, we give out the most scholarship money of any four. You know, the only level that gives out more scholarships is junior college, or that's allowed to. Um, so we do, and uh, it's, you know, it's a situation where I think the NAI does that so that we can be competitive to get quality, quality athletes in all sports. You know, because we're our scholarship is very competitive across the board with what the NCAA does. Um, yeah, the CCS is really good at that. Um, yeah. Just looking at the players that they had at like St. X, 
St. Francis, uh, your guys' training, Christian, Olivet, uh, those guys would get, you know, some of those D1 players like I was telling Matt. I know the year that I was playing, Judson had like four or five D1 players in that whole lineup, and they were all stars, and they were really good. But, you know, it's just the competitiveness in that division – or not that conference is really good. So Yeah. And, you know, the, the neat thing about the NAI is you, you get such a – such a an array of talent and the kind of tracks that these guys take as far as you getting these division one guys who just for whatever reason didn't make it where they were or they kind of bounced back and, and wanted to be closer to home or, or what have you um and then you get you know junior college guys get overlooked and it's just a very very interesting level because there is such a wide range of the type of athletes that you get. Uh, like, I don't know if the name Stefano Belmonte rings a bell from, uh, you know, he's a Northwest Indiana guy, but he went to Catholic high school in Chicago and he went to South Suburban, went to Purdue, left Purdue, or went to Purdue, then he went to South Suburban, then he went to Florida Gulf Coast, and then something you know, like extenuating circumstances happened at Florida Gulf Coast. Couldn't go back there. Was playing for me in the summer with the oil men, and then he ended up at Trinity Christian. And those are like those are the the, the typical NAI guys. You know, mm-hmm. any good like your path. exactly. You know, you 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 find those guys who have those crazy circumstances happen. You know, and, and you try to help them out and, and help them with scholarship money and give them an opportunity to either finish their college career or. or have a chance to play at the next level by, you know, standing out at a lower level. And that's, that's the name of the game to the NAI level. You know, I think you guys are familiar with the NCAA portal, any NCAA athlete who is transferring goes on the portal. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get anyone in trouble with this, but there's at any given time, there's probably more NAI coaches on the portal looking at who's looking to transfer than there are actually NCAA coaches on it. Makes sense. Just because that's, you know, again, we're, we're looking for that that hidden gem where some guy has some issue at some school and needs a place to play and looking for scholarship money and, you know, we can usually give it to him. Well, not that you ever had an issue, but I guess that kind of is, is a nice segue into your backstory because you didn't have, like, a traditional college career path. I would say you were, you know, kind of overlooked in high school. Uh, you know, one of the better, maybe the best first baseman in Northwest Indiana your senior year. And then if you just kind of want to go through your backstory, I, yeah. I don't want to spoil it. Well, I know, I, I, I know it. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I was overlooked. Like, first basemen who don't hit any home runs typically don't get a whole lot of scholarship money. You know, if, yeah, but making zero errors and hitting 400, yeah. you know, you, sh- you should have got more looks. Well, you, know, you were small. Let's put it, if, if I'm recruiting me, like, I, I'm, not, I'm not giving myself a lot of scholarship. But <laughs> I, appreciate, you know, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I think for me, you know, the opportunities out of high school weren't exactly what I wanted, you know, as far as, like, going somewhere where I felt like I was going to be challenged and also get a chance to, to really make a difference right away. So went to junior college, started uh, at Ancilla College. Yep. Yeah, silly, uh, baby. Yep. So I went there, <laughs> um, was there for one year, and then 
left there to, to go back closer to home, a little more affordable at South Suburban, was able to live at home and commute. Um, good program really also. Really good program, you know. I For me, I just, you know, my freshman year, I just wanted to get away from home. You know, I felt like, uh, do I really want to live at home and, you know, stay within – 15 miles in my house to go to college. So that, that wasn't super attractive to me at first. And then after a year of being away, I was like, you know what, it's probably the best thing baseball wise. If, if I'm going to find an opportunity after my sophomore year, that's, that's worthwhile. So went, uh, went to South Suburban my second year, uh, probably the, the, the best year of college that I had personally um, did very well. And then, um, you know, my, my thing was, I had the D1 fever where, you know, I was all American in junior college. And I said, you know what, it's D1 or bust. Like I'm, I'm not doing anything other than division one. So I literally, you know, tried to talk to every division one school that would listen to me or, or, you know, have me on a visit or whatnot. And the only division two school that I even talked to or visited was Southern Indiana. But when I went there, I realized that's where they wanted me. That's where I was going to be challenged. That's where I was going to have a chance to have an impact and, they sat me down and said, you know, our recruiting's basically done, but you could help us and we're playing for a national championship this year. And I said, well, that's, that's probably my speed. Like that's probably where, where I need to be. So I went there and um, we did win a national championship and uh, I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have traded that experience for anything, you know, uh, because I got to play every day. Uh, I had to work for it, but you know, it was a very challenging level for me and, you know, I got everything out of my experience that I was looking for. And then, uh, you guys, is Adam, what you want me to go through is the, the playing side right now? I mean, yeah, well, I guess you can, you know, we, we know your backstory now as far as credentials as a player. Um, you know, one of the, the better high school players, you know, that I played with personally that, you know, me and Nate got to see. Uh, the untraditional route, a couple different JUCOs ending up winning a national championship at Southern Indiana. Uh, I guess we can get into your, your coaching background now. Um, Chicago State, was that your first uh, coaching job? It was. So um, I, the, the one thing that I know about my coaching career is I've been extremely lucky. Like it's been, you know, a lot of opportunities from people who just kind of blindly trusted me and, you know, I, I worked hard in those opportunities, but it, it took knowing people and it took, you know, having a good network to, to kind of make a career out of it. So uh, it started at Chicago state and those were two of my, uh, my chief, my ham and chief uh, connections with Mike Caston and Neil Friendly. Um, I was a 22 year old graduated college senior and went there to be the volunteer and uh, Chicago State is a little bit of an untraditional Division One school. Uh, you know, at that time, we didn't have a field to play on. And at that time, there were only three coaches. There was the head coach, we had a full-time assistant, and a volunteer. So there's only three of us on staff. And our full-time assistant uh, ended up having his first child in, in that fall in October. So he was out for six weeks in October, literally during our entire – uh, you know, during our entire fall. And it was basically me and our head coach doing everything. And I got to do all the hitting and, and a lot of the, the stuff with position players. 
which was unheard, which is unheard of for a 22 year old volunteer at the division one level. So I got to make a lot of mistakes and learn a lot and, you know, see baseball at a higher level than what I played. Um, and I think that was the most impactful year that I had just because I had so much responsibility and I was able to do so much without it really, um, you know, blowing up on me or, or, or I mean, I was held accountable, but it, it wasn't like a situation where if I failed, I was going to get fired. I think we could say the exact opposite of blowing up. I think it went really well. Chicago State yeah, absolutely. was like top 40 in Division One that year in offense. So it's, it's kind of the exact opposite of blowing up in your face. Uh, right. It sounds like you must have did something right. But I, I, didn't, I didn't have that pressure, you know. Like I didn't have that pressure of like, yeah. oh, if we don't – if we don't win a conference championship or like make the NCAA tournament, like we're all going to get fired. You know, I, I knew that no matter what I did, uh, uh, I, there wasn't going to be any, any major repercussions as far as like getting axed or anything like that. So I could, I could go and try things and, and, you know, do what I thought would be a good idea, which a lot of times they weren't, but sometimes they were. What, what were some of the things that worked out? I know Nate's uh, yeah, was saying you got some cool, you know, cool stuff that you did there. Yeah. Well, so um, I was talking to some of the Chicago state guys. Uh, I know rat was one of them, Albert Carpin. Mm -hmm. um, just seeing those guys develop into players uh, like towards their senior year was incredible. Like Albert went on to play um, independent baseball. Uh, Jeremy Rashak had like his best season. Um, and I know by talking with them, they were talking about like these hitting charts that you had. Um, and what, what, what was so special about those? They said that they helped, helped out tremendously. Well, the, the biggest thing that year that we implemented was just our quality at bat chart. You know, before that, they had some really talented hitters at Chicago State and guys who, who could help them win games. But there was no continuity to how they approached offense. Like they could all hit, but they couldn't. They couldn't play offense. Like, they couldn't <laughs> yeah. do things to score runs when they needed to score runs. You know, like, they would just be down by 10 and then, you know, score a few runs then, and their, their stats would be good. So the biggest thing that we taught those guys was how to put at-bats together that put the most pressure on the opposing team throughout the game so that they would make more mistakes and we could take advantage of those mistakes when things were kind of, like, when things were tight or like there was some adversity for the other team, we could take advantage of that. Um, instead of just like, okay, we hit a couple home runs throughout the game, but in between those home runs, there was six strikeouts or like six terrible at bats or like they were really, like, we gave out, we gave out uh, an out in the first two pitches, swinging at a curveball at our shins, you know? Um, so really just teaching them how to, how to be a complete lineup and kind of a complete hitter in different situations was our, was my big thing. Now, the funny thing is like, I don't really even use that same chart anymore. You know, I've, I've changed so much since that year, but the, the biggest, you know, concept that I gave to them was like, I cared about them and like, I was there to help them work through everything. You know, I was there to help them figure everything out. So it was really good as far as like two way communication, you know, their thoughts, my thoughts, how we were both, gonna work together and like solve the problems that we had and they just had had that in the past you know like practices and, and individual time you know individual one-on-one -on -one time was very limited at practice or in their like off season so I think that was really important for us to 
have every individual guy figure out his identity, what he was going to bring to the team, how he was going to impact this in a positive way. Uh, I think everybody. And too, like just having, like knowing those guys too, um, knowing your, your background and um, just being like a region player, just like all those, a lot of those guys uh, was probably helped you out tremendously with just getting through to them also, you know? Um, well, I, I played with Albert, you know, all the, growing up, you know, he yeah. played at Robert Stale and I played in Hammond. We played together in Babe Ruth and like we were on that, that terrible Hammond team. team. Yeah. That really bad Hammond team that just beat everybody for a while. <laughs> um, so that was, you know, that's another thing. Like when I got there, and, and I'd work with Albert. Albert would pretty much do whatever I asked him to do. So everyone else was like, well, this guy played with Albert, and, like, they're literally the same age, and he's listening to him, so I guess I'll listen to him too. And if Albert would have just shut me out and said, I'm going to do my own thing, like, everyone else would have done the same thing. So having a guy like that buy in and, and help everybody else follow, follow the leader is really cool. Yeah, playing with Albert, uh, he – yeah, he's not like that. He's pretty He's pretty well-grounded, you know. Um, and going from Chicago State to, like, Arkansas, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, I want to say. Yeah. How, what was, how was the transition to that? Like, did you feel more intense, I guess, uh, I guess the pressure? The pressure was more intense from yeah. Chicago State to another program. Yeah. Uh, so then we – then we – it turned into, you know, you, you have to win, you have to do well, or, or you're going to be. You're gonna be out. So yeah. um, I didn't have as much baseball responsibility in Little Rock, but what I really learned in Little Rock was everything off the field. You know, so I doubled as our operations guy and our volunteer because our we just didn't have the money to have an operations guy and a, a volunteer. Um, so when it came to like travel itineraries, like where are we gonna eat? Where are we gonna stay? Like how are we gonna put together our summer showcases? How are we gonna put together? Uh, you know, our summer uh, travel ball tournament schedules that we have at our field because, you know, as a volunteer, those were the things that I was able to recruit. So I had to put as many things on and organize as many showcases and, and teams to come play on our field so that I could see those teams play. And our paid assistants didn't have to go watch those teams play. Uh, so I learned everything that I know about administrative duty in college baseball at Little Rock which was extremely helpful to become a head coach because, you know, the more in charge you get, the less baseball you, you get to do. You know, now that I'm the head coach, I understand that, you know, my majority of my day, 80% of my job is administrative. The other yeah, you're, is, you're, you're the CEO. You don't get to get into the weeds, be that hands-on. You're, you're a big picture guy as a, as a head coach. Were you uh, – what was your first manager job? Was that at, with the Oilmen? Was that where, yeah. where you were, the, first, where you were the, the top of the totem pole? Top of the totem pole. So, uh, I'm st- I'm st- trust me, there's still plenty of people above me in the totem pole even now. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm long from the top of the totem pole. Well, but, besides, uh, you know, but yeah, you're, so, you're not the athletic director, but at the top of the, no. the baseball team. <laughs> Yeah, not the athletic director yet. I don't know what yeah. your your career goals are. <laughs> Any, anything baseball is going going through you, so. Yeah. Um, so that was another just super fortunate opportunity that I had. Um, you know, I was at Chicago State, and you know, after the first year there, Jim Tucker was like, "Hey, oh, Tuck, 
there, there's this team in Whiting that's going to start like a summer collegiate team in this Midwest Collegiate League, and they're looking for an assistant coach. And at that point, like I'm making zero dollars at Chicago State, driving driving all the way to the south side of Chicago every day from Hammond, you know, paying tolls, spending, you know, driving basically 50 miles there and back every day, paying $200 a semester for a parking pass because they wouldn't even give me a parking pass. So like I'm just hemorrhaging money at this point. And he's like, there's this, there's this team that's looking for an assistant coach and they will pay you money. They'll pay you actually like actual dollars to come coach this team. So I'm like, absolutely. I'll come coach this team. So uh, I meet with the the president of the league and uh, a guy named Justin Heisman, uh, who was the manager at the time, or who he's going to be the first manager. And we sit down and we talk and they're like, yeah, sure. You can come on, come on in. Um, and I was the assistant coach for, how many? I was assistant coach for three years. And then uh, after I left Little Rock, I was then the assistant coach at Trinity Christian where Justin Heisman was the head coach and we worked together for five years. So that was kind of a lucky part of, you know, I met people that kind of helped me keep moving and, and keep me in the game. And just by blind, dumb luck, I ran into Justin. Not only was, you know, not only got his blessing as the assistant coach, but when he ended up leaving the oil men to just be with his family during the summer, uh, you know, he put in a good word for me to become the, the manager of the oil men. And at that time I was still working for him at Trinity Christian. So it, it worked out for me to, to continue to kind of move up where I was at and, and stay in baseball so that I can have the opportunity that I have now. Yeah, but I mean, you put that time. Clearly you have something that was uh, driving you to go to Chicago State with no pay, you know, and and help these these guys out and then going to Little Rock. Um, yeah, you're not – I feel like you're not giving yourself too much credit there because you are. I think it's crazy because, like, a lot of – it's hard to – transition from a player and then kind of take a step back be like ah, I'm probably not that good but I feel like I have the tools to um, help somebody else out you know yeah. and yeah. uh yeah I think yeah you're not well us- one thing that one thing that uh the former head coach at uh St. Joseph's College Rick Odette who's now at St. Leo uh you know he, he talks about this a lot but we had a conversation when I was you know moving up through college baseball and I was kind of leaning on him for advice he's like listen the coaches that make it just have the sickness like doesn't matter if they're making any money doesn't matter if you know their situation is really bad you know they just have the sickness to where they they really want to be a part of it and they want to continue to move up and, and stay in the game and you know there, there's really no denying that the people who really want to be in it and kind of grind through the first however many years it takes to make a career out of it they uh, make it just because they they can't uh, they can't see it any other way. And what what would you say like your best advice was? Like from, oh, from another coach, you know? Gosh, that's really hard. I've I've had so much so much of it. You know, I I rarely have a, a original you know idea. Most of them are just stolen from people who are way smarter than I am. Um, but in my first year at Missouri Valley, you know, I called. Tracy Archuleta, who's the head coach at uh, Southern Indiana. And, you know, we weren't very good talent-wise, but we had, like, really good guys, like really good character guys. And uh, 
I'm trying to put all this stuff in and I'm trying to like set up how I want to do it. And me, I'm very detail oriented. So like I want our first and thirds to be a certain way, but I want our dugouts to be swept a certain way too after practice. And you know what I'm saying? Like I'm kind of all over the place putting all this stuff in. And he's like, Hey, at this point, like while it's still new and while everyone's trying to figure you out, and you're trying to figure them out, like figure out the most important things that need to be put in this year. Like don't, don't try to do everything right away because then your guys are going to be walking on eggshells. Like they're going to think every, everywhere they turn, they're making a mistake. Like everywhere they turn, they got to worry about like how you want it exactly to the T. So like a little give and take. Yeah. So he goes, if this year you get your offense figured out how you want it and you get your, your bunt defenses exactly how you want it. That's great. Like don't harp on how the field looks after practice. Like don't harp on like, uh, you know, some of the little stuff that, that, that honestly doesn't really matter just yet. Okay. Like find the big things and fix those and then kind of work your way, work your way on the periphery of those big things. And that was the biggest advice that I could have, because if I would have kept going the way I was going, as far as just being really, really detail oriented on every single aspect of their, their life as a baseball player for me, I would have lost them. Like they would have just been like, this guy's out of his mind. Yeah. So that's that probably the best thing that I yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you have anything uh, you want to add on anything? Man, I mean, it's it's crazy from from trans transferring or, or kind of moving through my career as an assistant coach, where I'm in the weeds and, and I'm really hands on to being the head coach. Like how much you have to give up and how much you have to just how much more you have to trust other people with the baseball part. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's been like, it was a challenge in year one. And then, uh, you know, no, seeing that you just can't do it all yourself, just, uh, and, and seeing that you're surrounded by people that also care as much as you did when you were an assistant, um, is the thing that I've learned a ton. So if there's any young coaches out there or young head coaches out there, man, you, you just got to let the people around you go and let them figure it out because they'll never grow if they don't and you'll run yourself ragged if you do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Looking at Ryan and so many people like around him that like, he had me, he had to trust me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I'm saying like <laughs> never, never <laughs> like this whole thing was late. So it's like, <laughs> you're trusting me. I can't even get on a zoom call on time. Yeah. <laughs> a virtual call You're no no practices before 12 o'clock i'm guessing <laughs> nah never he tells me yeah he tells me an hour before it actual happens so <laughs> He's uh, i think line, uh man. i think that was great though uh that quote you had uh whoever yeah that mentor you said it was at saint leo you yeah. have to have that sickness like yeah. any anyone who listens who's like a college senior or you know, wants to get into coaching, like it, you have to be that intense about it. You have to be willing to spend $200 on a parking pass and get paid $0 and lose money for the first year because you're that passionate about it, that this is what I want to do with my life, that this is what I want to do with my career. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to help these players get better. I'm going to mm-hmm. give up my time, my energy, everything. And it is, it is a sickness. It has to be 
that type of intensity. I think that's a great quote. Yeah. Look at, I mean, look at just players, uh, coaches and players, like look at those guys in the minors, look at what you were going through, Matt, with playing with limited money, you know, and a lot of those guys do, but they, they oh, keep yeah. grinding, keep grinding, keep pushing. And, uh, Believe yeah, me, no one, no one plays independent ball for the paycheck. It's, yeah. it's because you love – yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. It's, it's because you love the game of baseball. No one's out there making yeah. five figures um, yeah. <laughs> playing independent Nobody. baseball. <laughs> like you're, like it's, it's crazy, but it, it's true. Uh, so, yeah, you do have to – there has to be something a little off where you love it that much that you're willing to put yourself through that. But and also, I think, you know, especially at the independent level, you know, I think it's just the passion is such that someone's going to have to tell you that you can't do it anymore. You know, someone's going to have to tell you, no, this is this is as far as it goes. The train ends here. Um, and, and guys who, who, who have that kind of passion for it need to hear that before they stop. Um, yeah. Because it, because there's plenty of guys who that that message isn't received in independent ball. You know, there's guys who. There's plenty of guys who, who get to independent ball, you know, either looking for that message or seeing where things go and they get in, into affiliated baseball and continue to have a career and, and make it quite a ways away from the Frontier League or, or the American Association. Yeah, a guy with his name is Colin Willis. He played at PNC oh, and yeah. then went on to Gary Railcats. Now, I mean, he's not making a, a lot of money. Uh, just straight, like, through word of mouth, you know? Like, he wasn't getting any offers after after college. Then he goes to Gary. Essentially just – I mean, he had an okay first season uh, and then just kept ramping it up, kept ramping it up. Later on, going to be an all-star. Then getting his contract bought out by the Boston Red Sox, which is an incredible story, you know? And that's yeah. – it doesn't happen a lot, but just his, his willpower alone and just, like, always wanting to make it, you know? That, like, yeah. was not an option for him, so – uh, I'll tell you what, man, that guy, there was no one I was happier to see graduate in the CCAC than Colin Willis. He, and then, is, a, he is a pesky motherfucker. He, you know? man, like, and then after he graduated, he played for a team called the uh, the Michigan City Lakers. And they were, they were a team that we had in the Midwest Collegiate League just to kind of fill up our schedule. I and played man, for them one summer. He hit – he hit two walk-off home runs on us, and, I mean, the Lakers really never beat us, but when they did, it was just because Colin Willis had all the RBIs. Just went off. So, I was I'm, – I'm glad that he's not following me around to Missouri because that guy just haunted so, my dreams. So, when does uh, Missouri Valley College become a pipeline to the MLB draft? Uh, Very I, And NAIA, I was looking, I was like, well – there were it was, it's not impossible. There were fifteen guys drafted last year alone, yeah. and it's I, as the playing level starts to level out mm-hmm. because there's indoor facilities and everyone trains year round now. And there's so many good high school players. Not everyone can go JUCO and get drafted or D one and get drafted. There has to be more players now taken at the D two D three NAIA level. What, you know, you got any guys on the radar? I think, well, I, first of all, I think that what's happened this year with COVID-19 is going gonna, is gonna to level that out even more. You know, there's going to yep. with at the Division One level, so many guys staying, not only holding on to those roster spots, but holding on to those spots that get playing time. There's going to be a lot of younger guys as far as 
the high school class 2020 that says, I'm not going there to sit on the bench for two years. And then there's guys within those programs already, sophomores, juniors, who are going to say, I'm, I'm not going to wait around anymore. I'm going to go somewhere else and play. And, and NAI has the most money to give out. <laughs> bingo. So it, it's going to trickle down. Like all those guys who le- legitimately have a shot to play at the next level are going to start trickling down in lower levels, the Division twos and the NAIs who, who can give pretty good scholarship money. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's going to – next year is going to be really crazy just because – the level of talent across the board for college baseball is going to get a lot better um, on the field. Like everything on the field is going to be really, really competitive. Um, so the answer to your question, hopefully soon, you know, we had two pitchers in our league drafted last year and, you know, it's just a matter of us getting some of those better pitchers that, you know, are, are draft worthy. <laughs> also too, like I wanted to uh, like congratulate you on um, getting married and everything. Thank you. And yeah. also, like, someone agreed to marry you. Yeah, that's I know, awesome. Right? Good for you. It's crazy. We're still sure. that day to happen to us. So, um, yeah, I'd be I'd be remiss if I were to say that like she has not been the MVP in this whole thing. Cause really, he's from. I met her in Payless Heights. She lived like a mile away from Trinity, so she's a South Side Chicago girl. I've lived in Chicago all my life. Mm-hmm. Like for her to agree not only to marry me, but follow me and and come down here to freaking north central missouri where we live right down the street from a cow pasture where we just hear cows <laughs> moving all day like it's unbelievable like unbelievable. what uh how, how far you guys are like equidistant between columbia and kc we're a little so we're like two-thirds of the way to kansas city so we're about 90 miles from kansas city and we're I don't know, two and a half hours so like a hundred and something miles from uh 150 miles from St. Louis. Okay. What Columbia, though? What about Mizzou? Yeah. Columbia is about 40 miles uh, east and just slightly south. Okay. So we're close to Columbia. You get up to Mizzou ever? Watch any games up there? I I haven't been to any games there, but we go to Columbia all the time. Yeah. I got to imagine SEC is pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. We'd like to get to a football game this fall, but. You know, for us, it's just it's just hard stuff going on weekends for us, baseball wise. Um, but yeah, it's it's nuts. Like anytime we're down there and there's anything going on, it can be a freaking you know cheer competition or, or or like some sport that's not like basketball or football. It's it's still a zoo down there. So um, yeah, it's it, it's pretty neat being being that close to the zoo. Nice. Um, also, too, like. I've never really expressed this and just to like have this on like the airwaves. So like people can understand like you as a person uh, just to get like that out there. Um, Yeah. So like in my freshman year, like the first year of college um, was like weird, you know, and I didn't have any, no, like, I guess backbone structure to whatever I was doing in life, you know, and you kind of grounded me and like pushed me to be uh, a player that, yeah, I was eventually, cool. you know, and that, well, that like, means a lot. Into something, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and so I can see that transferring to like the players that you coach, you know? Yeah. Well, that, that yeah. means a lot, man. And, uh, yeah. I want to, that I was wanna... probably the most fun that I had uh, in a year of college. And I wish you would, I wish you would have came with me to South Suburban. They're like, man, is your buddy coming? I think that was like, the thing. they're like, well, we'll take this clown that plays first base. If he brings his, 
<laughs> man will tank hitting friend that plays left field. Yeah. So they yeah, just got yeah. stuck with me because I kind of I'm like, well, I can probably get this guy to come with. Me. Like, yeah, bring him because we don't really want you. The old bait and switch. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I got him good. So it was. But yeah, that was man. I, I really, really enjoyed uh, that whole year. It was that first year of college was a blast. Yeah, even though we weren't good. Uh, just like the the memories that we have from like those two. Well, my two years there um, were pretty cool, you know. Just like the people that we met, uh, just the the randomness of everything. Like, living in Donaldson, Indiana, or Plymouth, yeah. Indiana, going to a college with like what six hundred people maybe, and like ninety yeah. percent oh, commuter, co- or actually probably one hundred percent. So living. So did you live at the? Did you live at the point both years? Yeah, I live with Clarky, Aaron Clark. <laughs> we kept we kept the uh, we kept the bunk beds and everything, man. It was it was super fun. Now there's a, there's a mystery, and I want you to be hundred percent honest with me. Okay. All right. So remember, like, into the summer of that second year that you were there, that old lady became like the RA, or she, like there's some old lady that was like overseeing the point. She's like living there or something. And... I'm not too sure. Okay, maybe not. Maybe she wasn't, but. Um, I came back in the summertime to get my fridge mm-hmm. and like, she just unloaded on me because there was a pack of bologna <laughs> in my freaking fridge and my fridge had been unplugged for like months. <laughs> like, this was the most disgusting thing that I've ever seen was this package of bologna. And I said, lady, I've never bought a package of bologna in my life. I've never gone to a store and put bologna in my cart and bought it never happened so somebody else must have been using my fridge and left their damn bologna in my fridge not me it was not, not me. you okay. no not me yeah i'll take your word yeah there's no i i don't even think yeah because i had my had, separate you just had a you just had a freezer full of freeze pops you'd be up oh, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah no i lived in college i just lived off of freeze pops honestly <laughs> that's where the power comes from dude are you kidding me just sitting there no shirt on, I'd roll over and like, what is he doing down there? And he just, just like <laughs> sliding a freeze pop in his face. Do do that hand gesture again there, Henry. Right oh, here, doing down there, right there. Yeah. And that and is what, what are you I've, doing? I've not changed a bit. <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious, dude. So so many good times. So many. I drive down to Florida. Oh man, dude, just one of my favorite memories that I have while we're sharing. Is we were going to the movie theater and oh, don't the, remind me, dude. <laughs> not remind and me. And we blow like we blow out one of Nate's front tires and it's vibe. Literally. Oh, the vibe. God, I miss that car. We are blocks into this drive. I mean, we are right outside of where we live. We hit this pothole like hard. Just <laughs> it was like a three foot pothole. Three yeah, foot like the bottom pothole. of the car scrapes against the freaking <laughs> the the road. It was so deep. So the whole, like, and it immediately blows out. But, like, we just hear this super loud noise, like, for a 45-minute drive to Plymouth. No. Oh, man. It was like, like, what is that? Like, what, what's going on? What is that? We get out, you, and we're just riding on the rim. Like, dude, we you couldn't tell? Oh, my God. That car was <laughs> I have no idea. to we hell, though. bottomed the, the vibe out. You want to talk about the most craziest car ever, like, Honestly, that car has, man, if I could just like put that car in the garage and just like 
for like just nostalgic purposes. <laughs> Dude, me, Kuna, and Bridges drove that thing all over the place. Just drove it in the ground during the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah. I I remember we were leaving Detroit. Yeah. After a tournament, and we had like a someone's grad party that we were Jeez. all friends with that we wanted to get back for, and we were doing 95 <laughs> from Detroit to <laughs> Griffith. And oh. I was sitting – I'm sitting in the passenger seat, and I'm just, like, picking out cars. I'm like, all right, we got to catch that car before the next mile marker. Go. <laughs> and he neutral drops, just <laughs> goes into neutral, drops it back into drive. <laughs> <laughs> now we're doing a hundo to catch this car before the next mile marker. No way. Oh my, that car, that car's transmission was wrecked. Like this, you had like, like bullet hole looking marks in the side from something. I don't know. That car was awesome though. Oh, that was going how many miles were on it when you finally parted ways with it? What was that? How many miles were on that car when you finally oh, parted ways? I have no idea. And what happened to that car? RIP, by the way, Panic vibe. Uh, so I was, me and Matt were actually going to, we were doing yoga. We were doing hot yoga. And so this day specifically, we woke up kind of late. We were kind of just like lethargic. We, were, we weren't we were wanting to go. And I wake I up. I remember this and I was call. Like, I was like, dude, I don't want to go. Like, let's just skip it today. I hang up the phone. And all I hear is. And I was like, what was that? I look at my car. My car is like halfway in my in my uh, yard hits the tree this person just was racing i guess he was racing down my street hit it head on while no. it was parked hit it no. and then this guy like yeah he like kind of it was a pontiac g6 which was my next car which is kind of weird um and then he like goes off to the side the guy was driving without a license he had a four-year-old car in the back seat and no way. the lady that was in there also in the passenger seat like broke her ankle it was crazy, and, and that's what – I mean, I drove it one more time after that because um, it was – I mean, that thing didn't really show any – no dents. Um, maybe, like, the the, uh, the light was kind of messed up, and there was, like, maybe, like, a little dent, but nothing too crazy. And I was like, oh, I can drive this still. Drove to the gym, drove it back, and it was making some weird noises <laughs> coming from the gym, and I park it, and it just stopped working. So Did I, you get any kind of insurance payout for that? accident or no uh i think it was just five thousand dollars i mean it's probably uh, more than what what it was worth at that point yeah, yeah. down yeah, payment exactly. down payment for the g6 yeah yeah, yeah. crazy story that was uh, that was nuts um <laughs> so yeah we can uh we can wrap it up if you want to if you have any other plans um sure just, i mean yeah whatever whatever you yeah, i mean we can stop this we can still converse um whatever so uh matt you got the same number yeah, why? Right. I'm sure I still have your number. Well, I, you know, after you, after we won the Chief Bags tournament, and then you, you fired me. Like that was that was pretty much the last time we talked to each other. <laughs> wow, that sounds like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't fire people if I win with them. Well, I, I don't know. We won the whole thing, and next year. <laughs> Wait, did I did I did I take my dad back the next year? Or yeah, something? yeah, yeah. You yeah took dad sorry. Back. Yeah. Yeah, he sucks. That's, so that's 308 2717 is still your number? Yeah, that's me. All right. He's like, all right, I'm gonna delete it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Nate didn't have my Nate didn't have my number, and my number's never changed. So I, yeah. Well, I, I changed from Android to iPhone 
and that is just let me no. tell you the worst thing ever. So, no, well, they can't save your contacts from Android and iPhone. They do, but I think it it's like a process or so. You have to pay for it, maybe. I don't know. I, I just, did the same thing. I went from Android to iPhone. I didn't lose any of my contacts. No. Uh-uh. Well, maybe that's just my excuse. I don't want anybody to know anymore. <laughs> I said I'm going on to bigger and better things. <laughs> California. Yeah, Nate moves to California, the just deletes every number in his phone when he moves to California. <laughs> no, I think the thing, too, was like, you know how, like, Facebook, remember everybody back in the day was like, oh, lost my number, join this group. Yeah. Like, that yeah. was kind of, like, already obsolete at that point. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, man, I can't even make this group. It's going to be so whack if I do. There were, like, five <laughs> people giving me their numbers. So I'm like, sweet. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <Yeah>. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was rough. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, so we'll just wrap it up. I mean, if we want to talk after, we can. Yeah, sure. Come along. So, um, all right, guys, take it easy. This is uh, Adam Enright and Matt Kuna. We don't really have any way of closing this out, so we're just gonna. Yeah, just just kill it. Yeah, kill it. See ya, bro. Baseball, bro. Baseball, bro.